And I guess one of the first places that I wanted to touch on with you, Mike, is that, look, there's, we've come in a very unique situation with this world right now. And athletes have taken months and months and months off training or it's been dysregulated. They haven't hit the same volumes. They haven't hit the same intensities, a lot of them. And I don't know if you recall, but in 2011, in the NFL lockout, we had this huge spike in Achilles tendon ruptures. And I suspect that we're going to see this pretty large spike in injuries for the athletes who weren't prepared. What do you think, what do you think is going to happen? And what do you think a lot of the athletes can do now to kind of prepare for that? Well, one, I think you're right. I'm going to try to pivot a little bit here to see if, uh, if I can get a little better. Um, I love that American flag. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, the, the sun is affecting me. I'm trying to be someplace where I won't wake everybody up in the morning but i think you're right i think there probably will it's be a spike in injuries the one thing i will say is that there's been a lot more talk on social media consistently about people trying to be more careful when they come back so i think that may help mitigate this to some degree just because it's you know people are almost constantly saying you know remember that you know people haven't been training or haven't been training as much. And I don't, I don't remember that. I don't even think like if you said 2011, I mean, I'm not sure if there was this really active group of strength and conditioning people on Twitter or on Instagram or in a lot of places where you are kind of able to at least um, influence the conversation a little bit. Yeah. But with that said, do I think there'll be a problem? Yes. How can athletes mitigate that? The, one, the number one thing, get out and run. And get out and run fast because I think, I think a lot of the problem that you see is that, particularly with higher level athletes, I don't think anybody really likes um, the the conditioning stuff that they need to do. And I think it, that it's very easy to go in the weight room and lift weights and tell yourself you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. It's not maybe so easy to get out on the field and do the type of running workouts that you need to do you know, make sure you're doing your plyos, make sure you're doing your short sprints, make sure you're doing some sort of interval training uh, because that stuff um, is, you know, it's a little harder. It takes a little more work. It takes a little more effort. It's a little bit more uncomfortable. There's a lot of ifs in there. Whereas the weight room, the weight room, I hate to say the weight room's easy, but the weight room's easy. Everybody likes the weight room. Everybody likes to go there, especially it's off season. I always, I use the expression, you know, it's like, uh, you know, in season weight room is like going to the dentist. Nobody wants to go. You go because you know you need to go. Whereas off-season weight room, I wrote an article one time called The Dentist and the Ice Cream Man. You know, I said in some days, like during the you know, off-season, I'm the ice cream man. Everybody can't wait to see me. Everybody can't wait to get there. You know, he's coming. He's coming. This is great. And then you get to in-season lifting and people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe I got to go in there. You know, I'm sore. I'm tired. We have meetings, all this other stuff going on. So I think it's really – it we don't see it with people that follow their program. If you do what you are yeah, supposed yeah. to do, you're probably not going to get injured. If you skimp, particularly, like I said, I, you know, we're big on hundred percent sprinting and we do a lot of, you know, 10 yard flying 10 yard. We don't do, we rarely sprint over 25 yards, but we do a lot of sprinting and time sprinting in that sort of somewhere between 10 and 25 yard area. And when you think about, um, particularly when you, know, you allude to Achilles tendon ruptures, you're talking about load and speed. And you have to apply load and you have to apply speed. And if you don't apply either or, 
that's where you're going to get in trouble because the, the bad thing about professional athletes is they're, they're like high performance sports cars in terms of they have a very, their hundred percent is very, very high. If they're not accessing that hundred percent on a consistent basis, they will access that in practice settings. And then that's where some of these, particularly the tendon ruptures are going to occur when somebody who has not been applying appropriate kind of load speed continuum right. to their body. Do you think, so to summarize, then it sounds like, well, the, the strength and conditioning, the weight room, that is the easiest stuff to sell most of the time for you. But you're talking about more of the track work on like outside of the gym. How do you yeah. communicate that to your athletes and kind of make it really digestible so they can go implement you know, straight away well, and effectively. We don't, see, we have no choices. So one of the things that we do, you either are doing the workout or you're not. And I talk about the idea that, that the workout is basically a recipe, not a menu. You know, you don't get to go in and pick. You know, you go to a restaurant, you look at a menu, there's a lot of stuff in the menu and you, I'll have one of these, I'll have one of these. I always, when people, you know, the, the people that I criticize, I call them menu pickers. Because they go in and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I got, there's eight things on the menu today. I'll have these two. You know, I'll have bench press and, you know, uh, maybe some squats. Okay. And then I'm good. Whereas we look at it and think this is a recipe. And the recipe starts with tissue preparation. It starts with foam rolling. It starts with stretching. It goes through dynamic warm-up. It goes into speed and power and plyo work. So when we're writing our workouts, it's like I said, either you're doing the workout or you're not. And there really is no in-between. Because I don't, you know, and it, it, it sounds almost a little communist, but it's, I don't like choices. I want there to be no choice at all. This is today's workout. This is what you're supposed to do. Either you did it or you didn't do it. So in terms of like, if someone's asking me for advice, I'm like, my advice is do the workout. <laughs> it's not, it's not complicated advice. Do the workout as written in the order it was written, you know, the same way when we talk about recipe, when you, when you're creating food, you get a recipe and the order that the ingredients go in matters. You can't simply say, oh, I'm, I'm going to change the order. You change the order, you change the meal. Mm. And in a lot of situations, you probably ruin it in terms of... Uh, what do you think the biggest uh, mistakes people make? Like, and what we're alluding to, I think what you're alluding to is exercise order and how that influences the whole systemic program. What do you think trainers and coaches make the biggest mistakes with that? The menu, changing the menu, if you will. Um, I, I think that they don't... They don't look at it as that's why I said that was why I wrote the article. They don't look at it and realize that it is a system. It's not, you know, what I mean, they, like, and I can keep saying I have all these articles because, you know, one of the things I talk about another article that I wrote and I can't think of the name, but we talked about the idea of, um, you know, when you have somebody who's a cook but thinks they're a chef, mm. and you know, you got to know if you're a cook, you're a cook. If you're a chef, like, you know, I consider myself at this point, I'm at the chef stage of life, so. I can be a little bit more creative. If you're a cook, just follow the recipe that's written by a chef. Don't, you know, the, the biggest mistake that coaches make is they start thinking, oh, I'll do this, I'll do this. I, I, uh, I'm doing a, actually a webinar this Friday for an event in Germany, and it's about the updates on our athlete program. And one of the things that I talk about is people are always like, oh, Mike, I love your stuff. I love your stuff. Yeah, you know, I combine your stuff with like Martin Rooney's stuff and, you know, some stuff from this guy and some stuff from that guy. And I'm like, well, you don't really love my stuff then. Because if you're combining it, then you're one of these hack cooks who's just throwing a bunch of shit in a pot. You know, I call it shit soup. You know, you make shit soup. That's what you do. 
you know, are you got to have a system and the system means a to B to C to D to E like right through. It has to follow all the time. If it doesn't, then I won't be surprised when it blows up in your face and somebody gets hurt. Right. No, hundred percent. You've got to be systemized. You've got to be intelligent in your approach, but do you think that system is created and influenced by multiple different, you know, really strong minds from a diverse amount of fields? Well, I think yes. And I think that's what we've done. And that's, I guess my point is if you haven't done that, um, you need to know when you're going to try. And that's like we said, the, the article, oh my God. Oh, it was called Stick to the Recipe. I couldn't think of the article. The article is called Stick to the Recipe. And it basically said that, you know, if you, if you look at the kitchen, there's like line cook, sous chef, chef. That's how the kitchen works. You know, when you're a line cook, you just make what you're supposed to make. You know, when you're a sous chef, you help the chef, you know, you're in that sort of in between. And then at some point you're the chef and you're deciding what's on the meal, what's on the menu. Our problem is we got too many line cooks who think they're chefs. So we have people who think, oh yeah, I'm combining stuff from all the best minds, but you're like, yeah, but you're, you know, the order's wrong. You know, you, mm. you haven't, as you said, there's just so many things, you know, when you look at people, uh, you know, and I talk about the same kind of tired topics all the time, but we have a great tendency in our field to train to our biases. We do what we like to do. And then everybody does what we like to do. I use the, you know, the Bud Light and chocolate chip ice cream analogy. I like Bud Light beer and I like chocolate chip ice cream. And so if I get put in charge of nutrition for the world, should I feed everybody beer and chocolate chip ice cream? Right. But in strength and conditioning, we have a lot of what I would call the Bud Light and chocolate chip ice cream people in terms of, you know, their power lifters or their Olympic lifters or their bodybuilders or their CrossFitters or their kettlebell people, whatever it is. And you look at their program and that's what their program is. And everybody's getting the, you know, the Bud Light chocolate chip ice cream version of training. Whereas I said, I, I look at, you know, we've spent literally, we've spent 38 years developing a system. And as you said, it is exactly, it's the best minds. It's looking at rehab. It's looking at strength and conditioning. It's looking at track and field. It's looking at every dimension of this and saying, how does each dimension affect what we're trying to do? And, but it's the ability in a, like a very chef-like manner to combine those ingredients and to know, okay, you know, is it just a pinch of track and field or is it, you know, two scoops of track and field? Do you know what I mean? Like what's, what's the difference here? And, you know, is it a, is it a little bit of Olympic lifting or is it a, you know, a huge heaping helping of Olympic lifting? And so it's that ability to balance all those things and to make, you know, the perfect meal, the perfect workout where you're able to get it done. I think that's that is such an art to it right you you're 38 years nearly about 40 years in this and you've developed this system and you've crafted this beautiful foundation that you can attack and develop any human to their peak potential but i think for a lot of like orphic like we're an education company we coach trainers and teach trainers certify them to be trainers and coaches and i think it can be so overwhelming right seeing all these different minds like yourself right? The DeFranco's, the this guy, the that guy, right? How do you even teach the young trainers and young coaches that you say how to think and aggregate all this overwhelming information? Well, that's why we developed that. We have our own certification, certified functional strength coach. And it's it, what you're literally trying to do is, you know, we, we have so many things, like I said, there's so many simple things. We always talk about the KISS principle. 
Mm. Keep it simple, stupid. You know, it's the reality is it is not very difficult when you think, if you have them think systematically, okay, I bring somebody into the gym. What should I do? Well, I, I probably should get them ready to work out. Right. That's pretty simple. I, I don't think anybody, anybody with half a brain is not going to argue with you about that. If you said, Hey, let's do some preparation to get ready for what we're going to do in the course of the workout. Then you start looking and saying, okay, well, what constitutes preparation to me? When I look at preparation, I think, you know, I go back to the Shoei Simon quote, well, what I really want is the, the right muscles moving the right joints at the right time. So I need to make sure that my length tension relationships are appropriate. And that means foam rolling, you know, getting the muscle tissue prepared for what's going to come next. And then that means, and like for us, we stretch, you know, people stretching has gone out of style. A lot of people are very anti-stretching and they're more pro dynamic warmup, but we stretch prior to our dynamic warmup. Because again, I want appropriate length tension relationships. If I don't have the right length tension relationship, then I don't have joint centration. I don't have things working the way they're supposed to. So when I go into my, you know, like we would call um, our warmup activation mobility, a lot of people would look at that and say, oh, you're doing your core work first. And I'm like, yeah, I guess, you know, it, that's core work. You know, when we think but it's about- it's gonna warm- help. It's, not, it's right. not made to hinder, right? Right, and it's just made to, what you're really trying to do, um, I liken it to having a dimmer switch. Like if the room you're sitting in has a dimmer switch right now and you decide, hey, I want the lights on really bright, then you've got to go over and turn that dimmer switch up. And so when we start the workout, I want things on really bright. So I'm going to use these mobility and activation exercises to, to upregulate the system. And then once I get that done, like, okay, I've got everything. I've got tissue quality right. I've got tissue length right. I've got sort of tissue innervation right i've got the right muscles working you know on and i I don't like the on off idea because you know people will argue with you muscles are never on or off which is true but the upregulation idea i do believe in you know i've got i need to get somebody to think you know that i got to get their glutes working i got to get their glutes doing the right thing i got to get the hamstrings doing the right thing i've got to there's just all of these like kind of buttons i got to push before i'm ready to work out then we're going to move into our dynamic warm-up stuff so now we're going to start Again, getting ready, like our getting ready process takes a third of the workout time. So if I've got a personal training session that takes an hour, yeah, I'm going to take 20 minutes getting ready. That's so foreign to so many people. I mean, some people do it, but it's like 20 minutes. It's like, it's like you got to prepare if you want to produce force maximally and recruit and right. innovate nervous system efficiently. Can you break that down on like why you think preparation time is so important and why you do 15, 20 minutes? preparation warm-ups um it's for exactly the reasons that i said like i look at people now and think it's amazing to me that people walk in the weight room and start lifting like i look at that and think no wonder everybody's hurt no wonder everybody's got shoulder problems and back pain and all these things that they've got because they're not doing the you know it's like you know i i always like i said i love i love really dumb analogies or really simplistic analogies but you know if i said to you here what i want you to do is I just want you to get in your car, start it, and then I just want you to go try to go 90 miles an hour as fast as you can. Just pull out of your driveway, stomp the pedal, go as hard as you can. And I, I think anybody would look at the, oh, that's not really good for the car, right? You're like, yeah, it's not good for the car. And the body's the same way. Like, you know, you've got you've to have that ramp up period. And some people use, you know, the, 
ramp as an acronym for the warm up. We don't, but it, but it's a it's an effective one because you want that period of literally preparation. It's because the workout, yeah, the workout's important. But what's important is that the workout is done correctly. What the workout, like I said, if you think about these ideas of the right muscles moving the right joints at the right time, joints being centrated, joints, particularly shoulder joints, hip joints, you know, the, the balls need to be in the sockets the right way. And for most people, again, as we age, the balls are moving anteriorly in the sockets. You know, our shoulders are moving anteriorly and we're not as aligned in terms of that, uh, you know, scapula, humeral connection isn't where it should be. Our hips are doing the same thing. We're not, we look at all the problems that we have and we know that the problems are, um, they're consistent. Let's put it that way. You know, back pain, shoulder pain, neck pain, everybody's got the same pains. So we should be looking and saying, you know, because the difference too, if, you know, say I'm a personal trainer, my job as a personal trainer is not to give someone a workout. My job as a personal trainer is to make that person feel better. And I think that's the difference that we, that we miss out on. People think my job is to give them a workout. My job is to get them tired. My job is to get them sweaty, whatever it is. And I look at that and think that's a, a small part of what you're doing. But the bigger part, I always tell my clients, I want my clients looking at me and saying, I feel better when I get up in the morning. The things that used to bother me don't bother me. Like someone said, what do you, what do, you do if you just got a guy who just wants to get big? I'd probably send them to somebody else. You know what I mean? Like I, I probably don't bother with that. You know, if someone said, oh, I just want, I just want bigger arms. I'm probably not the bigger arms guy. You know, we probably, you probably should find some, you know, bodybuilder type trainer who will cater to what you think you need. And then eventually you'll come back to me and say, man, my arms are bigger, but now I got bicep tendonitis and I, you know, and my, you know, I need rotator cuff surgery. And I'm like, yeah, that's because you didn't listen to me the first time around. And I always think that's, that's the big advantage to the, um, to the 38 year thing is that yeah. Yeah. I've been doing this, you know, I've, I've, I, when I say I've literally seen it all, I've, I've seen it all, or at least the, the vast majority. And when you step back and you look at it all, right. As this, you know, OG in the industry, what, I mean, this might be a question or something you've thought about before you had written articles on it, but what do you see as the big pillars, the foundations that kind of stay tried and true in strength and conditioning in this industry? Um, lifting weights and doing interval training. Those are probably the big pillars when you really think about it. I mean, we've, people have tried for years to replace weights with all sorts of things with, you know, with different machines and with air and with pneumatics and with, I mean, and we always end up back lifting weights. The idea of progressive resistance exercise is one that, I mean, it goes back to the Greeks. You know, you think about the story of Milo of Crete and Milo and the bull. I always use that slide when I'm doing presentations in terms of, hey, this, you know, we're not, we're not splitting the atom here. This isn't anything new, but, and the same way, I mean, interval training, getting out. Like I, like, I don't get, like, I don't understand why anybody jogs or anybody does you know, 20 minutes, like of cardio, you know, people talk about cardio. I'm like, that's the dumbest idea ever. It makes no sense. Cause it, it just, it doesn't do You know, I always say cardio long, you know, long, slow distance is good for getting hurt. And that's about it. Now it, that know. statement's going to, that statement triggers people, right? So do you want to break that down a little bit on why you think, you know, aerobic training in of itself, long, slow distance is ineffective for you or inefficient? Um, well, it's, it's, it's ineffective. 
inefficient. Yeah. It's inefficient because you can get much more. If you look at studies, like if you look at, you know, Martin Jabala's work, uh, he's at McMaster University in Canada. They've done a bunch of studies where they've shown that four minutes of intervals are superior or equal to 20 minutes of steady state, 90 minutes of steady state. The Tabata study showed the same thing, you know, four minutes of intervals were, you know, superior or equal to. So that's the inefficiency part. You can spend a huge amount of time doing steady state activity, but if you just did a shorter amount of harder interval training, you would get the same aerobic benefit. The interesting thing about the aerobic system is if you talk to anyone who knows anything about exercise physiology, they will tell you that the best way to develop your aerobic system is via anaerobic training. You won't get that. You won't get an argument from anybody who understands physiology when you say interval training is the best way to improve your aerobic system. So you kind of look and think, well, why do, why do people do so much steady state aerobic work? And I think it's easier and it's been kind of hammered into our mind, you know, 20 minutes, you know, 80% of maximum heart rate, blah, 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 blah. A lot of these things that are um, probably at best semi-truths. Then there is the repetitive overuse situation. When you think about aerobic training, particularly let's look at running, the, the incidence of injury in running is so high that I don't know why anybody does it. When you look at somewhere between 50 and 70% of people who take up a jogging program will get injured. There's nothing else that we would do in the world where someone's actually there is a, I'll give you my standard joke in a minute, but I always say, if someone said to you that you got a 50% chance of success, you have 50% chance you're going to get hurt. Would you do it? Nobody would say nobody would do it. But I always joke, but people get married, right? 50%, it. 50% chance. Because the risk is worth it for people in their head. They right. have this big But yet 50, at least in the US, like 50% of marriages end up in divorce. 50% mm. of the people who take up running get hurt. And if you look, the runners get really mad at that. That's what he said. It will trigger people. People will look at that and be angry. But if you look at the statistics, the statistics are there supporting that fact that there's a really high injury rate. So you combine the relatively ineffective, inefficient idea with the higher injury rate, and you think, why would anybody do it? And, I like, and so I'm saying, I always say that we never jog. We run a lot. And I just think there's a distinction between jogging and running. You know, jogging, you know, jogging is a is a slow, what I would call a non-sprint motor pattern. Mm -hmm. Running is a sprint motor pattern. Running doesn't have to be 100% speed, but it should look like running. If it looks like jogging, then you're doing it wrong. Right. So, and I could go on about any one of these particular topics forever but oh yeah i mean that's that's your career that's your life i mean diving into these and and, and finding the details in between um i might come back to that topic because there's there's something else that i wanted to touch on but in in the respective time i know <laughs> that so many young trainers there's never been more snc coaches and never been more trainers coming through the industry in australia and america um at least for our end, what do you think are the biggest mistakes that a lot of these young trainers and coaches are making when they enter this industry? The biggest mistake is they enter this industry because it's all about them. They enter the industry because I like to work out. I like, you know, I like the way I look. I like the gym. I enjoy being there. And that's why they, you need to enter the industry. And I'm trying to, it was, uh, 
I listened to a podcast with a young coach kid named Cameron Joss, and that was one of yeah. the things that he said is that, you know, you go, yeah, he's a DeFranco guy, so you're yeah. probably familiar with him. But um, and he basically said that, you know, there's two reasons to get in the profession. One is your own insecurity, and the other is a really strong desire to help people. I think a lot of people get into it out of their own insecurity. Like I look at people and think, you know, one of the things, so when I'm looking at hiring coaches or trainers, I look at things and say, you know, if someone said to me, oh, I'm a fitness competitor, or I'm a bodybuilder, or I'm a power lifter, or I'm an Olympic lifter, I consider that to be a negative on your resume. I look at that and think, okay, if you're still into doing something yourself, you're probably not going to be into getting other people better. You're going to be more worried about when do I get my workout in? When do I get to do my stuff? And, and in our world, that, that can't be. Like, you need to be committed to getting you know athletes better, getting clients better. That needs to be your life. And and I had a, that conversation last summer with a couple of kids who were you know applying for jobs, and they were like, you know, talking about their powerlifting experience. And I'm like, don't. I said, downplay that. If that comes up, great. But I don't consider that to be a strength. I consider that to be a weakness because I would look at that and think there are going to be times when your ego gets in the way of you making the right decision or your, um, your self-interest gets in the way of you making the right decision. And I always talk about, you know, you can tell people who get into the industry for the wrong reasons just by looking at them most of the time. You know, if you look at someone and, you know, they've, their clothes don't fit, that's a, that's a big red flag for me. Is that a little shot of tight fit T-shirts, boy? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like I always said, like, don't look like you're wearing your little brother's clothes. Look like you're wearing your clothes. But, you know, again, but people love like, yeah, but look at me. Like, I got like unbelievable body. And I'm like, yeah, who cares? Certainly not me and certainly not most clients. You know, again, if you're in a big box gym, yeah, maybe they're just, you know, uneducated people who are looking and saying, oh, I want to look like him or I want to look like her. And that's how they're picking their trainer. But um, if you want to ever move beyond that point, I think, you know, dress like you have some self-respect. Dress like you have some sense of what the world is about. You know, if you walked, I said, if you walked into the doctor's office and the guy was there in like skin tight shorts and t-shirt, how would you feel? You know, would you look and think, oh, the doctor's jacked? Or, or would you be a little weirded out? Like this guy, what's his deal? You know, like he's, you know, it's like how, how much of that is like social conditioning, right? Of like clothing and like what we learn oh, is acceptable. A lot. That's what I mean, I think the social conditioning in our field is really bad. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like there's not, we're not professional. We wonder why we don't get treated like, well, you won't get treated like a professional if you don't dress like a professional, if you don't act like a professional. Yeah. The act is big. Yeah. What, what do you think is the act? Like ha, ha, what qualities do you think embody like a truly excellent health and exercise professional? Um, I mean, one, you know, I would say humility and concern for others yeah. because those are the things that you really need. Like you need to be humble and you need to be, like I said, somebody who's really worried. Sorry, I keep trying to pivot around here and find oh, the sun's in my eyes. But uh, those are the things that I'm looking for. I, again, I keep going back. I wrote an article, but I've written a million articles. But I wrote another one um, uh, about the most important certification. And I said the most important certification is the CNP. Certified nice person. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's what I want. When I, like, people always rave. I, was too, I did a podcast the other day for a guy in Hungary. Uh, Peter Lakatos, who's a does our education or is our education partner in Hungary, and one of the things that he said was that wow, your coaches. He said they're all really young, they're all really good. He said, but 
the thing that stands out about them is that they're all really nice. And I said, I, I was so like, I was like beaming thinking, wow, this guy, you know, again, recognizes what we're trying to do, what we're trying to get accomplished because that's, we start out with that idea. We pick coaches. So when we're selecting people, we are selecting people based on personality first. I always say, I can make you smarter, but I can't make you nicer. Do you know what I mean? If, if you are not a good quality person to begin with, then um, that's going to make life difficult for everybody. So we end up, um, you know, we're always, like I said, trying to find, well, that doesn't, I'm really struggling to find it. Now it's that sunrise. It's, it's changing every, every minute. Sun the sun. It's exactly it. What state sun. are you in? I'm in Massachusetts right? and the sun comes right up in my backyard. Actually. Okay. This is much better. There you go. One, the sun is killing me and two, it's, I'm looking at myself and a lot of sunshine off my head here, but, uh, that's that. Yeah. Know. So, you know, this idea, um, is that start with personality and then teach because right. you get too many people who, Again, they come into it. I know a lot about strength and conditioning. I know a lot about fitness because I work out, that kind of person. That's the average person who's going into personal training. So again, if I'm somebody like you and I'm in the education field, I'm spending a lot of time on personal development. I'm spending a lot of time on professionalism and how professionals look and how professionals act and trying to get people to realize that if you want to be perceived like a doctor or like a lawyer, you need to act like a doctor or like a lawyer. You know what I mean? And, you know, we're like, you know, I hate to say it, you know, like if you look at, you know, we're like the jacked up, you know, earrings, tattoos, nose rings, you know, all it's like, you know, people look at that and think, okay, is that the professional that I want to lead me on this wellness journey that I want to go on? And, and most of the time it's not. So I think, you know, again, like we always talk about, you know, we have our intern meeting is kind of famous for the, you know, summer intern meeting and we get through the whole process. You know, I tell them, you know, clothes to fit. I, you know, I said my, uh, my shorts policy, you know, if, if you're a guy, they got to cover the top of your ass. If it's a girl, they got to cover the bottom. You know what I mean? Because, you know, guys walk in and, you know, their pants are down around their knees and, you know, you're looking and thinking, okay, pull your pants up, you know, look like a professional, get a pair of shorts to fit, you know, and a girl will come in and it might be the reverse in terms of those are too short. Like those, that's not going to work here. Like you can't, I always said, you know, I don't want to be in a situation where, you know, everybody's looking at you and can't focus on what they're supposed to be doing, but it's that ability to be a professional and to select, like I said, thing, you know, select your clothing. We talk about, I mean, even things like brushing your teeth, you know, body odor, deodorant. I mean, these are all things that come into play. You know, if you're going to be in, in close contact with people, every day and you're somebody who's not like you know really conscious of their personal hygiene that's a problem you've got to make sure you know that you know your clothes have to fit your clothes have to be clean you've got to brush your teeth you know you, you know what i mean it and you think oh we shouldn't have to say these things but we have to say these things because again over the course of time we've encountered these problems with people where someone said oh i really like mike he's a great trainer God, he smells like a goat, you know, and it's like, you know, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I can do it again. And, and you're like, okay, you know, it's the, the worst thing is having that conversation, you know, if having to bring somebody in and be like, Hey, 
you know, you gotta, you gotta shower after you work out. You can't just work out. How many of those conversations have you had? How do you, because that's an art of communication right there and and not being able to belittle or disrespect, but you know, know, we have a couple every summer. It's hard. I mean, it really is. I mean, you bring somebody in and you you have to start with, you know, the, Hey, I love you. I think you're doing a great job. You know, you're awesome, but we got a problem. And it is, I mean, you know, they, they are, you know, difficult conversations are an art. I always say like, sometimes it's just like, take a deep breath. Okay, here we go. You know, you, okay, I got to do this, right? I mean, you don't look forward to it. It's not fun. But if you avoid it, you lose clients. And in reality, you do that person a disservice. That person needs to know that, you know, I always tell them my wife is great that way in terms of, she's like, go brush your teeth. And, and you, you know, I get, like, my first reaction is I'm a little bit offended. I'm like, saying I got bad breath. And she's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's why I told you to go brush your teeth again. And, and, you know, but it's like getting people to floss. Like there's nothing worse than spending an hour with someone who has horrible breath. I mean, nothing. I can't imagine any like thing that I would like less than saying, okay, I'm going to have to work and talk back and forth with someone for an hour. And they, their breath is just, you know, offensive or their odor is offensive. You know what I mean? It's like, these are all the things that they all effectively create this professional appearance that we struggle so much. We wonder why we're not perceived as professionals, but you know, we don't dress like them. We don't look like them. We don't act like them. And it's like, well, if you don't dress like them, look like them, act like them, why would anybody treat you like one? That's completely, that, that makes complete sense, right? You have to be, the change you want to see you have to represent and own the reputation that you want but what i appreciate and respect about you mike is that you have standards and your standards and boundaries are very clear and they're lines in the sand and i wonder when you were in your 20s late 20s 30s did you have these same standards when did these develop when did this strong-willed boundaries well, I develop? i always my father was a high school principal so I think I've had them my whole life. Like I, as a kid, I remember, um, you know, I couldn't wear, you know, whatever your word is, jeans, dungarees. I couldn't wear denim pants to school. That was my father's standard. You do not, you don't wear jeans in school. And, you know, I mean, it was a dumb thing, but in my father was like, and, and you don't get sick. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, you get up, you go to school every day. You know, you couldn't get up. Oh, I don't feel good. I don't want to go to school. I don't care. Get up and go to school get up, get your clothes on, let's go. And there were always standards in, you know, kind of in our life. And then I went to a really, you know, I went to Springfield College of Physical Education School and they had very high standards. The, the, the physical education curriculum that we took was super rigorous. And that just further instilled in me <laughs> kind of the, the value and the need of professionalism. And then I went to Boston University and it was the same thing. Like I wanted to be perceived as a professional. And so you realize, you know, if you want to be perceived as a professional, you've got to act in a professional manner. If you want people, because again, think about the time that I'm doing this. I'm, I'm one of the first people in the country who's doing this. There's not a lot of us performing the duties of strength and conditioning coach at that time. And yeah, I mean, it was great. Like, Hey, it's still t-shirt and shorts a lot of times at work. But as I said, the, the, the idea that things need to fit, but there, I can tell you in my twenties, I was probably much less professional than I am now. And I have, I think the standards develop over time. You start to see things that you 
that you like or that you don't like. And you realize that, okay, these are, you know, in my twenties, I probably, you know, I, I was, you know, I'd go out for a beer with players. You know, I'd look at that now and think that's absolutely forbidden. Like you can't do that. Why, why do you think that now? Because so one, on one way you might think we're building trust camaraderie, you know, right. we're, we're getting to know them, but yeah. what's the other side? I mean, the other side is, is the ability, you know, maybe you compromising your position with those people by getting, you know, involved in things that, you know, and it's even like now, if someone said, hey, I'm going to go someplace with one of the athletes and I'm going to have one or two beers, I'd probably be okay with that. You know, if someone said, I'm going to go away for the weekend with them somewhere, you know, and rip it up, I'd be like, eh, I don't know if that's going to be, but there was like, when I started out, when I started coaching, there were players that were older than I was. When I got into professional sports, there were players that are older than I was. You know, so I think some of that, it develops over time. And some of the rules develop as you see things go awry. You think, okay, these are things that didn't go well. You know, we used to have, you know, like we always tell everybody, you know, like think about simple rules. You know, you can't date the athletes in the gym. But that rule was a product of me having massive amounts of problems with staff members dating athletes and then staff members and athletes breaking up and then people not wanting to be in the group with, you know, I don't want to be in that group where he coaches. Do you mean? And that's like, Hey, you know, this doesn't work. I don't want you dating them, you know? And, and yeah, sometimes, I mean, I always say, you know, if you, if you break the rule, you better marry the person, you know what I mean? You know, because what I, you know, I don't want a, um, you know, I don't want a serial dater in my gym whether it's male or female and, you know, distraction, which, you know right? Before, There's oh, emotions to right? do distraction. Yeah. And, and you just, you know, you can't, but you know, at the same time I look at it and think, Hey, if, you know, if, if two people fell in love in my gym, um, you know, would I put up with it? Probably. But uh, you know, if somebody was, you know, falling in love every other week with a good looking girl or a good looking guy or whatever, then, you know, we'd have to have a conversation about whether they wanted to continue to, you know, to be in our employ. And it's, you know, those are there. There's just so many things, like you said, and over time, I think you do, you develop more and more rules and the rules are based on uh, bad experiences, primarily things, you right. know, the, the things that occur. Do you, when we talk about the young trainers right now, do you think they, need more boundaries they need more rules like how do they develop how do we as coaches um yes develop i think, I think they that? need i said i think like i would look at it if i'm you and i'm running orphic education then i'm asking everybody to read uh how to win friends and influence people I'm asking an amazing every, book yeah exactly i'm asking everybody to read you know stephen covey's seven habits of highly effective people because i think i probably would realize that i need to help you more as a person yes and as a trainer, because I think as a trainer, like I can, you know, we do our CFSC and it's like, you know, read the book, study the material. You know, I don't think like some people find it to be a, like life changing, career changing. I think it's pretty simple. Yeah, we get to give you a really good system. You can follow the system. But as I said, what I can't do is, is give you the interpersonal skills that are going to make this successful long time. Cause think you're young, so you don't even remember. But I mean, there was always like that image of like, the personal trainer who runs away with the guy's wife. You know what I mean? That's like a standard kind of thing in the movies, you know, where the, the woman runs away with the personal trainer. You know, that's, that's how we're viewed as just, you know, some dumb muscle head or some bimbo in the gym who's, you know, looking to break up somebody's marriage or, you know, some muscle head or some bimbo in the gym who's looking, you know, 
is just looking at themselves in the mirror all day. Like that's how people perceive personal training. We need to give them this view of personal training where, you know, we always say, I always tell our coaches, we're in the life-changing business. You know, I want people who work with us to be like, this changed my life. This was, you know, I, I feel better. I look better. I eat better. I, you know, they, all these things are happening positively for me and not like, Oh my God, my arms are huge. You know, or I really like the way my chest looks, you know what I mean? Like, like I look at that stuff and think who cares? Like that's to me entirely irrelevant. But I also realize that if you have a good program and you do it well, yes, you will look better. It'll happen. It'll come. Yeah. Um, exactly. yeah. But, I think it's but a bigger piece. It's that kind of, you know, customer service piece that really makes the difference. And it starts from, like you said, being a kind, nice person. And I think this doesn't get talked about enough. And we talked to Brett Bartholomew just about two weeks ago. And it's interesting seeing how successful he's clues. And you can see commonalities in that, all right, mentioning these books on, hey, we're not even looking in the SNC field right now. We're looking at how can we be better human beings? That's person first, athletes that can play a last. Well, it's interesting. If you look at in Brett's book, Conscious yeah. Coaching, I think five of the chapters were written by MBSC people. Well, there you go. Right. You know what I mean? So you know, There's I mean, something there. You know, Kyle Holland wrote one, Brendan Rare wrote one. I have to look back through the book to see Pretty who cool. else Beloka wrote one. But do you know what I mean? So I yeah. think in that way, you know, there's there's obviously some commonality between, um, you know, what we're trying to do in between. I think that definition because I, you know, I tell people all the time as a personal trainer, the number one thing that will make you money is people wanting to spend an hour with you. How do you get that to happen? Yeah, wanting to spend an hour with you. Right. You get it happen by caring about them. And that's the ultimate difference. You know, do you, do you really, you know, when you get that client, because the one thing about personal training too is there's a lot of time to talk whether you like it or not. And what you choose, you know, where you, where does the conversation go? Um, with that person and knowing kind of starting to figure out the hot buttons. I had one of my clients who's, you know, extremely wealthy, extremely successful. And initially, you know, it was kind of, kind of dry in terms of, um, you know, he'd just come in and he'd do the workout and I'd show him what to do. And it was like, well, this is, you know, this is a tough hour. Mm. Um, and then we found music one day, uh, you know, we were working out in a, in this really uh, high end hotel gym and, I was like, you know, you mind if I put some music on? Cause we would get like the elevator music, you know, that's coming through like in the, the gym. And he's like, no, I don't mind at all. And he was roughly the same age as me. So I put on like my 60s, 70s playlist. And all of a sudden he perks up and we start talking about music and about songs. And I find out he used to play in a band when he was a kid, he was a bass guitar player, you know, and I mean, we really connected over music and you know, you don't know like what your connection point is going to be. Sometimes it's asking people about their kids. Maybe it's their kids that are really important to them, or maybe it's them wanting to talk about their business, whatever it is, but it's that ability to develop some connection with that client that will make that person a long-term client. That's a great point. I mean, you, you, the deeper connection that's beyond the superficial. How do you, what do you tell, what would you tell a young Mike? You know, young Mike Boyle on how to develop those connections, whether it be specific questions to ask or, or 
ways to behave, qualities to develop? What do you tell that? Person? I think one, I'd, I'd probably tell them, do your homework. On the person? On the person. Yeah. First thing, that's what I do. Like if I went now, if I had a new client, I'd be trying to figure out, like I always tell people this story, but when I went to work for the Red Sox, I worked for them for two seasons and we won the world series, you know, the world championship in the second season. And I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm done. But, um, the first year that I was there, I was, you know, I'm, I'm a new guy, right. I'm coming in, I'm trying to change the system over. I'm trying to, uh, and I've got to now win over a lot of players because in baseball, there's a massive number of guys in terms of the number of minor league systems. There's hundreds of players. You know, you've got a 40 man, you know, major league roster, and then you've got another, probably 20 guys playing in your top affiliate and another 20 guys, you know, younger guys playing in the affiliate below them and 20 more guys in the affiliate below them. It's just a lot of bodies. But I, every day I read the media guide every morning I got up an hour early. So I got up, if I had to be in, let's say, let's say I had to be in at six, whatever it was at five, I'd get up and I'd read the media guide for a half hour, 45 minutes. And I'd read about players and I'd read about staff and I just, like I was getting as much background information on people as I could get so that when I went in, we could have a conversation about maybe it was where they went to college. You know, maybe I knew their college strength coach. Maybe it was about their kids, maybe. But in some way, I could connect with them with some item of their life. And we always tell them, and with trainers, like I always tell everybody, I tell our coaches all the time, you should text every one of your clients every day. Because they don't know that you're texting every client every day as a matter of course. But if you got a quick text, hey, Alex, you know, just checking in, you know, how how'd workouts go, how, you know, whatever, like, how was lunch? You know, how was your meeting? You know, like, when people text you back, you start to develop that relationship with that person where you're checking in on them and you're not just somebody who pays them for yeah. an hour of work. It's not transactional. It's more. Right. Exactly. It's not in that exactly perfect description. It's not transactional. And, you know, you talk about like transactional versus transformational, right? But, mm. you know, we want it to be transformational. We want this to be a relationship where that, like, I always think like the best, you know, trainer client relationship, they start to look at you as a friend, but it's like a friend that you pay to spend time with, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it's that's not- what you want. But again, but it's a friend, but it's a good friend. It's a friend that always has their best interest at heart. It's a friend that doesn't feed into their bad habits. It's like, I got this, I got to get this really great friend. I got this friend who cares about me all the time and is concerned that I'm eating well and is concerned that I'm getting enough sleep and is concerned, you know, about my family situation and the stressors in my life. You know what I mean? Like that, that person. And it's funny, you know, now we have people like the life coach crowd, you know, or I'm a life coach. And I look at that and think, you know, some ways I think as a good personal trainer, you probably are a life coach. You're probably helping somebody all the time with, you know, organizing their schedule so they can get their workouts done, helping them with making nutritional decisions. All, all of these things that you're doing, you really are in a sense, I, I, although I dislike the term, mm. the idea of, you know, what you're really trying to do, you know, versus the personal trainer as like, you know, Marty Musclehead, let's get in and, you know, pump up our biceps. You, thing, yeah. you know, you know what I mean? Like I just look at that stuff and think, I, I, I can't believe anybody does it anymore, but yet I realize we live in our own little MBSC yeah, vacuum. Bubble. Yeah. And, and the reality is 90% of the people are doing exactly that. I think it's changing. 
I think it's changing. I think guys like you are inspiring the change. I mean, so many like you are inspiring the change. And in fact, just on your point about the, you know, it becomes like therapy and psychology a lot of the times. And like one of my clients just messaged me. She's kind of, that your clients rant to you. They rant to you and they rave to you about, you know, their emotions and how their day is going. And it ends up being like a psychology session. We're not psychologists. We're not psychiatrists. We have no degree or qualification in there. Yet it ends up going there a lot of the times. And you end up realizing that it's less about sets and reps, less about nuts and bolts, and more about the, as you said, connection than anything. And I just, I just wanted to make that comment because it's, yeah, it's no, real. but like you said, even though, but if you really think, even though you say we're not psychologists, we're not therapists, but when you think, what does a psychologist or therapist generally do? They listen, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's the difference. Like when you somebody like I have a, I have a very successful doctor client, and. You know, he's one of these guys, he's a super type A guy, has, you know, been extremely successful his whole life. Work, 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 work. And part of my job all the time is to slow him down. You know, I'll have days where I'll look at him and I'm like, doc, you know, we meet at five. Still, I still imagine I'm still doing personal training at 515 in the morning with a client that I've had for 20 years. But I'll look at him some mornings and I'm like, doc, you know, how was surgery yesterday? And he'll kind of look at me, well, you, do I look bad? And I'm like, yeah, you look like, you look like shit. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I operated till 9 o'clock last night, you know. And then I, you know, I drove home, ate dinner, you know, got up at 4, you know, 4.30 to get in here to meet you. And I'm like, okay, we're just going to chill today. You know, we'll take our time. We'll warm up. You know, we're not going to push it. And he kind of looks at me and he's like, great, that's exactly what I need. You know, whereas so instead of me where like, you know, no, let's go. Come on, doctor. Yeah. You got to get a great workout in today. You know, it's being able to look at him and think, no, I always think. You know, my job, he's now, he's 70 years old now. And I said, my job is to keep him operating until he's 75. Keep him able to, you know, feeling good, getting up, getting up, you know, get being able to go to work. And every day is like, you know, a, you know, the first thing you talk about is kind of the aches and pains thing. You know, how's your shoulder? How do you feel? How's your neck? You know, how's your back? What's going on? And thinking, okay, do we need to spend that, you know, particular amount of time in a particular area, whether it's, you know, rolling or stretching or doing a little bit additional, you know, mobility work, whatever we're doing, but it's, it's developing that ability to read the situation, I think is really critical in, and it's much like you talked about, even from an information standpoint, it's developing the ability to filter information, as you said, you know, whether it's like me or, you know, you could be an Exos guy, you could be a Mike Boyle guy, you could be whatever, but what you really need to be able to do is, you know, you go back to the Anthony Robbins idea, success leaves clues. And you've got to be able to look and think, can I filter through all this stuff? And it's really hard now because, because of the internet, a lot of people have developed the ability to con us. Like there's a lot of people who are perceived as experts in our field who aren't. They're experts at being experts. Hmm. And that's what they've become. That's where they've made their name. That's what they've become good at. But um, and, you know, I always think I said, one of these days, I'm going to get old enough where I'm going to really not care. And I'm just going to be like, and I have the list for you right here. These are the clowns who are total frauds and, you know, don't train anybody. But I always tell people when you're learning to filter, you have to look and think, okay, like if I see this person's videos all the time, you know, whether it's on, now it's Instagram, you know, Instagram's a big thing. Yeah. Are they always by themselves? Like, dude, why, why do I, why do I not see? you know, client videos, athlete videos. Like I love Ben Bruno and, you know, Ben's one of my former trainers who's in California and he has it like a super A-list clientele, you know, I mean, some of whom he really can't, like he actually can't tell you the names of some of his clients because they don't want it out that he trains them. But a bunch of them, you know, 
also don't care. And, you know, they're in his Instagram videos. You know, he posted Kate Upton yesterday doing like 28 reps with a 28 kilo kettlebell on her 28th birthday. You know, and you're kind of like, that's authentic. Like this guy is training. This is a real person that he's training. And then you see some of these other ones that look like they're produced, you know, in the gym. And it's like, you know, the guy and, you know, one kind of random person doing this thing. And you're like, is this guy really training anybody? If I really like, if I poked his resume, is there anything in there? And in a lot of cases, there isn't. And that's, I mean, you gotta we gotta control what we control, and you know, disregard what we can't. But I think that the best way, I think, one of the better things that we can do is lead by example. And I think that's what you've done throughout your career in a in a pretty powerful way, and you're still doing. I wonder though, you know. You've been decades, Mike. It's been decades. Do you, how much do you do differently? How much do you reinvent and change? What sort of improvement can you make at the top of your game now? Is it reinventing? Is it just refining? Where are you at mentally with all this? I think it's, it's much more refining than reinventing. I don't think we're going to reinvent ourselves because I do think our system is really solid. Yeah. But I think it's also, it, it's that filtering thing that we talked about. It's figuring out because there's always new information, right? Yeah. It's being able to look at the new information and think, is this useful? Does this make me want to change what I do, even in some small way? Because I can look at, it's funny, someone Instagrammed a picture of my 2004 Functional Training for Sports book. and was like, I love this book. And I commented back on Instagram. I'm like, that thing was written 16 years ago. There's stuff in there I don't even believe anymore. You got to pick up the new one. And I'm not trying to sell books, but in 2004 – we didn't make, there was no mention of foam rolling because we hadn't even thought about it yet. And it said, don't stretch. I was in the same, you know, static stretching reduces power stage that everybody else was in in 2004. And so now I look at our preparation and think everybody foam rolls and everybody stretches. So over, you know, whatever, a 15 year period, there's been a massive shift in how we prepare for workouts. But, you know, if you look at the exercise selection, not so much of a shift. Um, so, you know, in, but I always said, if you look, I'm on my, I'm rewriting my second book right now. So it'll effectively become my fifth book. And it's my fifth core training chapter. And it's the fifth different core training chapter that I've written because we just keep finding out, you know, more and more and more, you know, whether, you know, as I always said, you know, whatever, 15 years ago, it was Australian stuff. It was, you know, Paul Hodges and, you know, draw-ins and, you know, a lot of like Paul check kind of influence stuff. And then 10 years ago it was Stuart McGill and, you know, sort of the, you know, the kind of, I won't say the not no flexion, but sort of an anti-flexion sort of approach, you know, much more, again, a little bit more orientated towards stability. And then now it's even gone a step further in terms of it's very breathing influenced. Hmm. And so there's, there's always, there's always, like you said, refinements that you're looking at and saying, okay, how do I refine this? Is, is there something better? And I'm a big believer. I would say I'm not married to anything. I'm not going to say this is what we do forever. I'm always going to say this is what we do right now. And, you know, when people ask me what's the best way to do something, like the way we're doing it now. Because if, if I thought something was better, I'd switch it. Right. And you only so, know but, until you know to change it. Exactly. And that's why, you know, I was, it's funny because people, I get accused a lot of being inconsistent and, you know, people say, oh, he flip flops all over the place. He's always changing. 
And I, you know, I had sort of the standard response. I'm like, that's called learning. And if you're accusing me of learning, then yes, thank you. Uh, I'm proud to be accused of learning. I'm very happy you can accuse me of that anytime you want, because I think that's a really good thing. I'd much rather be accused of learning than accused of stagnation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference for most people is that I, you know, I, I wrote a quote one time. I said, if you're doing the same program you were doing 10 years ago, you either had a really good program 10 years ago or you suck right now. You know, it's like, it, it, it's probably an either or thing. So you've got to be able to look at that stuff. Mike, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I can, we can either go two ways. I'm really enjoying this conversation. Uh, we can either finish off with one last thing or we can go a little longer if you want or I'll have time. I'll probably finish with one last thing because I do have to get into the gym. I have a group at 8.30, so I'm going to get off with you and then I'm going to go and change my clothes and <laughs> head to brush my teeth. Yeah, you got to right? do that. Otherwise, your wife would be on you. Uh, the last thing I want to touch on is biases. You know, how do, you, how do we learn to detach from our biases you you have every excuse to be attached to your biases right you're been decades in the game you know you're a older guy in this industry you're a seasoned veteran a lot of people could accuse you of staying attached to your biases to finish off how do you teach people to detach how do i not stay so attached as a younger coach in this industry and not to get so emotionally attached that I don't know how to adapt and change? Um, I think you have to, you have to realize one, that it's not about you. I think that's the easiest thing when you, when you, again, that's the ego part. When you take the ego part out and realize it's not about you. And because I, so often I, I can remember people when we start talking about change, I can't tell you the number of trainers who said to me, well, I can't go back and tell my clients, you know, that all the core stuff we've been doing was wrong. And I'm like, why not? I said, I do it all the time. I go back and I'm all excited when we make a change and say, oh, you know, you know something? Wow. You know, I just went to this seminar and I, you know, I listened to this guy and he's, you know, he's talking about this and, you know, so we're going to eliminate the flexion stuff. You know, that ends up where you're actually, you know, it's bad for your back, not good for your back, blah, blah, blah. I'm not embarrassed. I always say I'm never, if you're embarrassed by learning and that your defense of learning is stagnation and to stay the same, that's a real problem. Like you're not, you'll never be successful at anything yeah. if that's the way that you choose to operate. You need to be able to look at things. And again, it goes back to the states. It's the selling process. How do I sell the change to my clients when they're so attached to exercise X? And it's developing. And that's why I think I've gotten really good at, at simple analogies and simple explanations. And I always talk about this, you know, keep it simple, stupid kind of thing because I've got to be able to explain to a client and it's that ability to, to be able to look and say I was wrong I is one of my favorite books of the last year was think like a freak and they say those are the uh, the three most difficult words in the English language yeah. I was wrong you got to be vulnerable and whether you know that can be in a personal setting apologizing to somebody but it, in, our, in our situation it's in the training setting like hey I was wrong about that I learned I learned more you know I'm I'm Where did Michael go? Froze on us. Michael's internet might be out. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> Michael Boyle. 
is frozen. It's like someone just pulled the internet connection from his router. Mike, I'm gonna stay with it, guys. I'm gonna see if he can finish this thought. See if he can finish his thought. I mean, it's just a guy like Mike, you know. Oh, yeah. That was Mike. You were lucky, yeah. It's like someone just pulled the pulled your connection yeah. out. Well, you know, I thought it was like Instagram Live at the end of an hour, bang, they just. I know it's not for this. It's you want to finish your thought, or do you want to finish there? Um, I don't know where we lost it. So it was uh, just twenty seconds ago. Um, the biasy question, um, on how to stay detached from you know our biases. Um, finishing. You know, off like, there. like I said, I think you know if you can finish the thought, it's just like I said, it's it's put your ego away. Yeah. And make it about the client. Be willing to be weird. I said, you know, I mentioned the book, think like a freak, yeah. be willing to be wrong. Don't be ashamed to be wrong. Don't be ashamed of learning. Don't be ashamed of getting better. Be viewed as somebody who's constantly, I, I think I'm viewed as someone who's always looking for the best solution from my clients, the best solutions for my athletes. And I think that's why people keep coming back. And so, uh, you know, if, if you're, if you're worried about that, you're worried about the wrong things. Michael Boyle, honestly, I'm very grateful for a person like you in this industry. And I'm, I feel extremely uh, fortunate to have the opportunity to speak to you from all across the, the world like this. Um, I didn't think this would happen, but it did. If you're ever in Melbourne, Australia, we'd love to host you and, and, you know, run an event and have people learn from you in person like this. Well, great. One of these days I'm going to do it. Have you ever Thanks. been to Australia? I've never been. I, you know, it's oh. funny. I get, I get invited every year by something, but it's, I, the way my life schedule is, I have two yeah. kids, you know, one's playing college ice hockey and another one is playing, you know, high school sports. I don't have the time to, to make that kind of trek. And I, you know, I've done like, I've done China a couple of times yep. where I've gone over and back and it's, it beats you up. It does. But look, if you ever decide to take a family trip out there, We'd love to have you. If not, we'll keep doing this and uh, keep learning from you from afar. Thank you for everything you do, Mike. Really appreciate you. you. See ya. See ya. Michael Boyle, ladies and gentlemen, OG in the industry. Let me put these on. It's 10 p.m. here. Enough of this blue light business. So to finish off, here it is. The webinar Wednesday. This is what we do. Every week, every Wednesday, usually at 10 a.m., but for this, it was a bit earlier, a bit later, pardon me. Now, as you guys will see, this is at Orphic Education forward slash webinar Wednesday. You can go there to find all information about our upcoming schedule. Matt, we got to do something about this. Don't mind those images. Just check here on the right. You can see exactly the upcoming schedule of who we got. We got another coaches roundtable coming next week. It's going to be fire. Let me see. I'll refresh that. Hopefully fix it. There we go. That's better. Another coaches roundtable coming next week. Michael Boyle um, today, a great conversation, really challenged some previous hell conceptions and ideas. Um, he's that type of guy, you know, and it forces you to, to reflect and think, focus on the basics, and, and refine. Um, that's next Wednesday, Coaches Roundtable 3. 
Then we have uh, Durham McInnes, Jacob, Jamie Smith from Strength Culture, and Charlie, which I can't wait for that conversation. I love those guys. Tani Tonkin on the 1st of July. And we've got more coming. More coming. Stay tuned if you guys want to keep staying tuned for more of these. You can enter your email name here, and you'll be emailed when the next one is out. Other than that, I'm going to get some sleep, man. This Orphic Education webinar Wednesday available on all podcast platforms, YouTube, Facebook. If you don't know and you want to become a personal trainer, then we have, I believe, one of the best Stiffit 3s and 4s in the country, the most hands-on, the most practical, and you guys should see what we're creating now. What we're going to come out with will be the most comprehensive piece of education, certificate, I would argue goes even further than a diploma. I'm just going to put that out there. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Orphic Education, Webinar Wednesday. Wednesday. Done.